Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're sitting here with a fella uh, that I was I was uh, telling tales and, and kind of explaining why I was excited about tonight. And I'm excited about every episode, and I say this every time, and I genuinely mean it. I'm excited every day to sit down and talk to people who have some kind of you know common ground in the outdoors. But today we're we're talking to a fella who I have spent a very long time watching and consuming his content. I have a very dear friend of mine, Marty, and uh, he, he's all the time referencing you and we talk about you and, and, and CA and Flip Palette. I mean, you guys are like right there in that, in that conversation all the time when we're, when we're talking fishing. Uh, I'm not going to bury the lead. I'm not going to drag this out. We've got the legendary Tom Rowland on the podcast today, dude. What? First off, thank you for taking time out your evening. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. That's a, that's quite an introduction. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I really do appreciate the support over all the years and, and it's really cool to hear, to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, no, this is, this is too cool. So I, I'm noticing some immediate things. So I, I, you know, first things first, I cut up a lot. And so I'm going to first draw attention to the fact uh, that my backdrop is a spare bedroom bed here. And I've got one fishing thing on the wall, some arrows. And I noticed that your backdrop is that of an accomplished man. So Am I, am I able to say that by the time, you know, I reach my, my forties and fifties or maybe even later that this will look better or sure. is this, yeah. I mean, if you want it to, <laughs> you know, you can have an empty wall. I don't know. I don't know if you have a closet like this in your house, but if you have an empty closet, it gets filled. Yeah. So if you have an empty wall, it'll get filled. Yeah. You know, you, you, that kind of stuff just kind of happens, but um, you know, most of this, most of this stuff back here is uh, the Florida Keys have these tournaments, the the Redbone tournament, and mm-hmm. um, there's some there's some other tournaments, I guess. But the Redbone tournament is it, that's a place where you get a lot of artwork. You don't win any money. You get a lot of artwork, and uh, usually my wife wouldn't let me hang it on the wall. So I used to have this bathroom, <laughs> and I had it plastered from top to bottom, all the way down, everywhere across. Uh, even the ceiling had things on it because that was my I was like, look what I won. She's like, oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> That'll go right in the bathroom. <laughs> it's a very intimate setting for everybody to yeah. get to know your accomplishments. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was my bathroom too. You know, it was like, okay, cool. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. It's so it's funny. I, I grew up in a in a setting where uh, I got to watch you guys on TV do these competitions. And uh in Southeast Georgia, there really wasn't this um 
competition culture. It, it kind of was just more like how many fish can you put in the boat and then how quickly can you get back and fry them kind of mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I was always very envious of you guys because I'm a very competitive person by nature. Uh, I tell people God had a really sick sense of humor because he made me five foot six, five foot seven. If I wear sh- really thick soled shoes, um, I'm very stocky. I'm not very flexible. I'm not fit for any kind of competition, but I always wanted to be a part of something like that. And I- I'm kind of curious what, what's your, your, you know, after, after so many years of doing it, do you, is it still something like you look back on fondly or has it changed for you? Um, yeah, both. Uh, I look back on it incredibly fondly. Um, there were a lot of different types of tournaments that, that I did, and I wouldn't take them back for anything. The tournaments, um, you learn at a supercharged rate in the tournaments. And so, I mean, if you're, if you're a guide and well, let's just, I don't know about other places. Let's just say the Florida keys. If you're a guide in the Florida keys and you're not doing tournaments, you can still be a very good guide, but if you are doing the tournaments, you're going to learn so much faster, or at least I did. And it really accelerated my career, accelerated my learning. I felt like I was putting, you know, years more time, uh, or at least I was gaining years more knowledge because you're seeing what other people are catching. Like it's not doc talk. You, there's a scoreboard and you can see what they catch and you, Mm you know, oh man, that guy had a huge day. I passed him three times. So he was in one of those places, you know, maybe that's a place you might want to go back and check, or it's just like, how in the world, those are places I would never look. Mm -hmm. And then you just learn so fast. And then when we got into the competitive redfish tournaments, I mean, man, talk now that was for money Mm -hmm. and those guys were serious. And, uh, we learned super fast there because we, we had to learn a whole different um, style of fishing. I mean, in the Florida Keys, our red fishing is 98% seeing fish on the flat tailing and throwing a fly or, or, or a jig or, or a live shrimp to them. And um, there were only a couple of places on the whole tour that that even happened. So we would go places and we're like, okay. The water is literally the color of the street out in front of my house. How do we fish here? We don't know. I mean, you know, and, and that was, you know, CA was learning that kind of stuff. We were fishing those, those, uh, you mentioned him earlier. We were fishing those tournaments together and, you know, the Florida guys would go to Louisiana and Texas and just be like, Whoa, I don't know what to do here, but sometimes you would stumble across a few, um, or at least you could kind of put together something that you wouldn't come in last place, but sometimes we did, you know? That's part of it. I mean, but failure is a part of any endeavor, especially anything competitive, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there was, there was probably more, definitely more failure. I mean, I think there's always more failure in fishing than there is, than there is success. I mean, you're out there for, for eight hours and you know, you're fishing for a fish, like a bonefish or a permit or a tarpon, you know, you come in, you got, you got two, two fish, three fish. That's a great day. So there were, you know, and that, that happened in probably you know, a couple of minutes each. So that means that the rest of the day, I mean, you could look at it as the rest of the day was a total failure. So you have, you know, 20 minutes of action and Mm -hmm. the rest of the day, you're basically looking, um, or failing shots or, you know, Mm -hmm. missing opportunities. So, yeah, I mean, uh, there's, there is more failure in, in fishing than success, but I do look back on the whole thing fondly. Um, it was, it was a great time. 
because I do have a, an athletic background and I have a competitive streak in me as well. And, and I got away from all competition for a while. Um, and then the first fishing tournament I got back into, I was like, Oh, this is, this is all right. Because there's a lot of things going on here. Like it starts out with a boat race and <laughs> you know, that's pretty awesome. Uh, and, and then, you know, it turns into, you know, this, this kind of mental chess match, uh, or a real chess match with, uh, with all the other anglers and trying to find the right place and make the right call. And sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. And when you don't, you try to learn from it, you know, but I, I, I really, I did have a really good time doing them. I think that tournament fishing is a full-time thing. And if mm -hmm. personally, just for me, a lot of people like to do it on the weekends and things like that. If I don't have the time to dedicate to that 100% and be fully prepared, then it, it's not as much fun for me. Like if I'm not going to be in the hunt, mm -hmm. I don't, I, I, that's not fun. I'd rather just go fishing with my kids or with my friends or something and just not have to deal with the boat race and everything mm -hmm. else. But when you're, when you're serious about it and you're putting in the time and you're putting in the practice and the, and the preparation uh, tournaments can be a lot of fun. At least they were to me. It, it's funny you say that. I think that, that sparks the, the idea of the athletic mindset, right? That, that comp that competitive spirit, because we have a very irrelevant, but it's a fun summer long. We do it for about a month. It's a, it's a, it's called the yakking for bass challenge. It started with kayaks. We now have a boat division and stuff. And, and uh, our, our, it's a month long catch photo release online tournament. Basically the whole purpose of this is just, you know, we're mainly a, a hunting podcast, but in the summertime, there's not a whole lot to hunt. And so we're, we're trying to kind of, past that time and we raise money for takemefishing.org and it's just nice. it's a great it's a great time and it, it's funny because as that that tournament starts to take up my focus on water temperatures and and weather patterns and where things are and fishing reports starts to really crank up and this year my son right in the middle of this four-week tournament uh got sick and he was sick for the better part of about 14 days which you know it puts you oh. behind everywhere else in life and the whole time in my mind, that competitive spirit is like, dude, like you've, you've got to be out there. Like the fish are moving off to the ledges. They're doing their different things. The shad bite is off and it's, and there's that, that, that drive in the background. And I have to keep reminding myself it's for fun. It's a charity event, but that, that competitive spirit, man, I'm with you. If you're not able to prepare, it's kind of, I'd rather just be brim fishing almost, you know, in, in, right. in that sense, something easy. Yeah. yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's fun. So I'm curious. You mentioned the redfishing is a different thing. There's a huge redfish on your wall. Now, is that mm -hmm. is that a trophy from one of your your uh, fishing um, my tournaments? Son, my son caught that um, actually. So the redfish tournaments are kind of a funny tournament because depending on the state, you have a slot limit, right? So you can uh -huh. keep you can keep like it, when we did those, it was 18 to 27 inches. Uh, most places. Then when we went to Georgia, the, there was a different slot limit, but you have to you you were able to keep each person could keep one fish. Mm -hmm. It was a two man team. So we could keep, uh, in Florida and, and in, um, in Louisiana, those were where the, most of the tournaments were is 18 to 27 inches. So you're really looking for the, the biggest, fattest, heaviest 27 inch fish. That fish is, is bigger than that. And, uh, <laughs> when my son caught that, that was a, that was a big fish for him. So, uh, we got that mounted for him and, and, uh, now it resides right there there you go not in the bathroom <laughs> yeah no, no. this is this is the basement <laughs> 
oh man, redfish. The 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 general consensus. So we're our our biggest base is Florida, and we have a little small group that of people who donate to the podcast, and they get to video chat with us and whatnot. And the overall theme of saltwater fishing for the group is redfish. That is what yeah. they target. So I'm going to take a moment and and throw them a que- throw a question to you that they were asking, okay. which was, and and I recognize in advance this is very broad because the state is very diverse in the habitat, but redfishing specifically if you were going to give people who were aspiring uh anglers some kind of coaching for the state what what do you think is maybe the biggest mistake that they make or the biggest thing that could maybe shorten that learn curve if they're trying to like really go after it well the biggest mistake that we made was trying to sight fish everywhere and you know sight fishing is is easy in in the florida keys i mean that's kind of what we do so to think that that happens everywhere it, it lends itself to finding very spooky fish in certain areas, mm-hmm. like incredibly spooky fish. So spooky that if you see them, the chances of catching them are almost zero. Wow. So learning how to fish the deeper water uh, confidently, learning how to fish structure, learning how to fish, um, you know, redfish are in, in, a, in a lot of ways, they're a lot like a largemouth bass. They're, they're available to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So that makes them very popular. They're, they're widespread. Um, and then they, they are also on a wide variety of structure. You can find them on trees. You can find them on drop-offs. You can find them on flats. You can find them on a wreck. You can find them on a jetty. You can find them in deep water and shallow water under the trees all over the place and learning how to fish all of those different places confidently, whether you can see them or not is the way that you're going to be the most effective red fishermen across the state because you're going to go to some areas and certain things that you may do incredibly well in your home water just don't exist there Mm -hmm. maybe there's not flats where they're tailing or maybe the water's just kind of deep everywhere maybe you know what we ran into were that their mullet boats were still still running when we would go up to a place like uh, um, you know sarasota or or that area and if it was shallow water and on a shoreline those fish were getting run over all the time Mm -hmm. and we couldn't catch any of those fish. It was really, really, really incredibly hard to catch the fish. And, uh, the guys that knew how to fish deeper water where the fish weren't getting bothered as much, they Mm -hmm. did so much better. So that's what I would say is, is really try to, you know, learn, learn to fish that deeper water, uh, comfortably and, and confidently for the whole state, you know, that, and and then you're going to be able to take that to a place like Flamingo and still use that. And, you know, if the conditions are right, the tide's right, you can go up and catch them on the flats, but when it's not, you can catch them under the trees or you can catch them, you know, around dock or, or something like that, you know. I think that's my favorite thing about redfish is that besides the fact that they taste remarkably good, they fight dependably. It doesn't, it just, it doesn't seem to matter to them, whether it's cold weather or warm weather, they just, they have a certain level of get up and go. But I I think that my favorite thing is it feels like everywhere I go, I can repeatedly get on redfish. Maybe I'm not the biggest of redfish, but I think it's always kind of like that bass thing. It's like, if you find a body of water, you throw a worm in it, you're probably going to catch a bass. Like you said, the redfish is just kind of dependable in that regard. And my wife, uh, she, she likes the, the oily salmon looking style fish. So I can, I can use that as an excuse. Like, Hey, I'm going to go red fishing today. You know? And she's, she, Oh yeah, go on. You know, it's like the one all clear she gives me. She doesn't even question it. If I'm telling her I'm going for reds. Nice. <laughs> so th- there are people who have really linear stories. They wake up, they, 
they're asked at a young age, what do you want to do? And they, they become the doctor and then they're a doctor for 50 years. And it's a really cool story. And people are envious of the fact that they knew what they wanted to be when they grew up. When I look at your story and I look at your history, you have this really unique, just river that winds and flows from all these different perspectives. And we, we would need six or seven episodes to really like break it all down. But I think people would benefit from kind of hearing this. I mean, you're a, a Tennessee boy. Mm-hmm. You, you spent a whole bunch of time in the West from, yep. from, from my recollection. And then you found the fishing capital of world. I mean, I really don't know where to start with that, but man, kind of narrate that story for us a little bit. I mean, how did you find your place well, here? I, um, it's a good question. The way that you, you posed that was nice. Um, because I certainly didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. I definitely didn't. I wasn't good in school. I just kind of, made it through school just long enough to get to wrestling practice or football practice or whatever Mm -hmm. was after school. I didn't like school and they would have probably diagnosed me with all kinds of different things today. Um, so school, school just wasn't good. I think one time I took one of the tests that they, uh, that they tell you kind of what you're equipped for. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of people were like, Oh, good. This says I'm going to be a doctor. That's exactly what I wanted to be. Just like your, your example. Well, I think I got one that said I was going to be a, I I would be a good fire lookout or um, something else. I mean, it was, I brought it home to my parents and they were like, Oh no, like, you know, this, this is not good, but the, it wasn't, it wasn't that I was, that I was dumb. I just wasn't interested in anything that they were talking about in school. And once I've found something that I was interested in, I got really into it and I would be interested in sports and I would be interested in, in other things. And I would go deep into those things, but it wasn't happening with school. And, you know, you kind of think you're going to grow out of it, but then in high school, it's kind of the same thing. Like I went to a great high school, fantastic high school in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and it was really, really hard for me, but it didn't narrow my idea of what I wanted to do. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Completely, completely adrift and lost and um, just didn't, didn't have any idea. And so I, I liked to fish uh, growing up. I loved to fish and went on one trip to uh, Northern Saskatchewan when I was a senior in high school, that was really cool. That was kind of like a graduation trip. We caught Northern Pike and walleye and lake trout and grayling. And that was really cool. That was the first fishing guide I ever saw. I never knew that you could even be a fishing guide, but this particular fishing guide was a native guide that didn't speak any English. And so it wasn't like I was seeing what kind of hospitality a guide would, you know, for that does it for a living mm-hmm would, would do. So that was just, that was my, that was my idea of a fishing guide that you just sat in the back of the boat and didn't do anything, just (laughs) kind of pointed over there. And, and we caught plenty of fish and he was a, he was a great guide. Uh, but he didn't, there was no communication and there was very little, uh, hospitality. It wasn't until I went to, uh, Yellowstone national park and worked in Yellowstone national park that I saw trout fishing for the first time. And, you know, coming from Tennessee, it was, um, everything was stained water. We didn't see, I I don't think I had ever seen a fish before I caught a fish. 
And when I went out there and saw that for the first time, I was um, really impressed with it. I thought that that was the coolest thing I had ever seen and pretty much decided that I don't know how or where or what this is going to look like, but I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. And that is how, you know, things started changing. So I'm trying to, you know, work in Yellowstone National Park, you make zero dollars doing that. <laughs> and, uh, but then I would go back to school and, you know, it was, it was fine. It was a great experience. And then the next year I wanted to work in Alaska and, and I had this crazy plan to go to Alaska and, and work there in a fish cannery. And my dad's just listening to this whole idea you know, I don't know a single person up there. And he just thought this was not a really good idea, which it really probably wasn't a very good idea, but he, he didn't know how he could effectively kind of dissuade me because I wasn't easy to dissuade. Um, I was a pretty hard headed kid. And, uh, I just got this little, little, um, letter in the mail from him with this, his classic, uh, legal pad, trifold piece of yellow paper. <laughs> And it was just, there was just this little thing, uh, scotch tape in there, scotch taped to the paper. And it said, uh, Western rivers, professional guide school. And it just had a big circle around it and said, would you rather do this instead? And man, I dropped the Alaska plans immediately. I didn't know that anything like this existed. And so he signed me up for this, this guide school. And at the time, he was probably just like, you know, we, we dodged the bullet. I could have been the kid in, in, uh, into the wild, you know, uh, yeah. that dies in the school bus easily. Um, because I, I, I didn't know how big and, and wild Alaska was. And I was just looking for a bigger adventure and I would have found it up there probably more than I could handle for sure. Um, and so anyway, I ended up going to this, this professional guide school and I saw that you could do this for a living. You could be a fishing guide. And I was around some really amazing people, including the person that ran the school and his father, Joe Bressler and Vern Bressler. And um, when it came to the end of the school, um, he, he was, you know, saying, you know, if anybody wants to work this summer, you, you could have that opportunity if you do well in the school. And so I tried real hard in the school and, at the end of the school, um, it came time to, to graduate and move on. And, and he said he was going to send me to this other ranch in Ennis, Montana. And uh, for the first time in my life, I just wanted something so bad. And like authority figures were, I, I, I wouldn't say anything to anyone of authority. And so I just spoke up for one of the first times in my life. And I said, you know, Joe, I would really like to work for you right here. And he said, oh, you would? Okay, I'll send the other guy to Diamond J. I mean, it was that easy. But I mean, I look back on that and that was like this real turning point for me because if, if I had gone up there, I don't know what would have happened, but staying in Jackson, I was around a real professional outfit and Vern Bressler was a hard ass. And he made sure that you did things absolutely, all the details, you know, were you know, everything from your appearance to the way that you kept your truck and the way you kept your boat and the way you introduced yourself to your customers and safety and, and just the whole works, absolute professional deal. And he would not 
hand, he would not tolerate anything but that. And, um, so I was very fortunate to learn how to do it from him. And, um, later that paid big dividends when I moved to the keys too, because, you know, at not all keys guides are super professional. And so I didn't know any other way to do it. And, you know, at being the youngest one there and you're nice and you're not yelling at people, then people tend to come to you. But, um, yeah, I mean, I was the, I was definitely the youngest and definitely the worst when I got to Jackson for sure. There was no question about it. I was the low man on the totem pole and the worst, uh, angler and guide there by far. And then that transitioned, it was the same deal again. When I got to Key West, I was absolutely the worst guide there, the least experienced, um, the, you know, I, I, I just, I'd never even been on a saltwater charter. And so that also kind of turned into an advantage later because I didn't know any other way, but to just to work real hard. And mm -hmm. I just thought that I was so far behind all of these other guys that it wasn't, I mean, I just worked hard for five, six, seven years and never compared myself to anybody else because I just figured, well, that guy's grandfather was a guide mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. this guy's a three generation guide. And this guy's lived here his whole life. And this guy's, you know, got all these world records and all these people. And I just would try to walk down the dock without saying a word to anybody and get in my boat and go and do my thing. And I didn't want to be around any of these guys because I didn't want to mess anybody up. I didn't want to make a fool out of myself. I didn't want to run aground in front of anybody. So I would find these weird places and try to, I'd find a couple of fish there. Well, I'd, I'd write it all down and be real careful about it. And it wasn't, you know, five or six years before I went to a real spot, like one where there'd be three or other boats there. Mm -hmm. I just would avoid those places. And what I found later was that was some of the most valuable stuff that I ever did because on the rough days and the, and the cloudy days and the windy days and the days when the, the real spots are crowded, I could go and chip away at these little spots where there'd be a fish or two there, a fish or two here. And it was all stuff that I learned when I was just getting down there, you know, the places nobody else went because nobody else ever went there. It looked, didn't look good. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a spot. You know, it's not a spot there. They were fishing for hundreds of fish and I was fishing for two fish, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, uh, but those spots are valuable and, and they're really, really insanely valuable. And in mm -hmm. fact, as you become more and more experienced as a guide, those are the spots that, you know, cash the checks. And those are the spots that, that save the day because everybody's fishing where there's fish. And so the, the guys that can, can kind of chip away at them, uh, in these weird and obscure kind of places on, on very specific tides and things like that, that's a huge advantage. And so I didn't know that I was even doing that. I was just trying to stay away from everybody else. Um, but I mean, that's kind of the, that's kind of the story. I, I definitely did not, uh, know what I was going to do. And I definitely don't have any sort of pedigree. Uh, you know, my dad wasn't a guy, my dad sold insurance and, um, I'd never even been on a saltwater fishing charter. So crazy. I was, it was highly unlikely that I was going to see any success there, but you know, I, I do believe that it was kind of, um, my, my, my background and, and a lot of my athletic background of being a wrestler was a big part of that because that's kind of what wrestling is. I mean, you, you get 
your ass kicked for years. And then finally that guy graduates or something and you make the team for the first time. And then you go out and wrestle these other schools and you're just like, Oh shit, I'm <laughs> killing these kids. Yeah. Well, it's not because I'm killing these, the other kids It's because I've been getting my butt kicked for the last six years by somebody that was really good. And it turns out maybe you learn a that's how you really learn, you know, and, and it's a very similar path, you know, with what I, with what I did in the, in the fishing of just, just not knowing anything. And then, you know, one day you enter a tournament and you're like, Oh, huh. Turns out I did. Okay. Like I thought I would come in last place. I really did. The first tournament I ever, I ever entered, I was hundred percent sure we'd come in last place and we, came in second place i think and then this next tournament i think we won that tournament and i was like what is going on here <laughs> <laughs> that's all that's it's funny because you're charting this story and I'm, and I'm thinking he leaves the bill dance state and he goes to you know goes to the great west where the fishing's remarkable and then he finds his way to florida and it's like your whole life had this like undercurrent of living in places where the fishing was actually like really really good what well i went there just to fish i mean yeah. that's that's why i went you know to the to the different places jackson wyoming and yellowstone national park and then key west florida i went there specifically to fish and and i looked for other places i thought you know i wanted to fish year round after i got kind of my feet on underneath me in in the west i wanted to fish year round and i thought that looked like being a trout fishing guide and i even got uh -huh. that experience i even got that advice from people saying you know what saltwater's too hard to learn don't worry about that you you you're good at trout go down to patagonia go to chile go to you know argentina go go someplace like that where you can fish in in the off season and then come back up here and fish and so that was one opportunity, but it just seemed, I didn't know anybody in Patagonia or Chile or, or anywhere like that. I'd never been there. I had no contacts. There was no internet back then. It was, you know, that just seemed like I was swimming upstream. Maybe, sure. maybe I could make it happen, but there was a, there was a, um, a connection to, uh, Cayman, little Cayman Island from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And a lot of people like uh, other famous people like Carter Andrews worked at little Cayman because there was this Jackson Hole connection. The people that owned the Jackson Hole newspaper also owned a lodge in uh, little Cayman. And little Cayman is this tiny little island that has a very limited fishing there. But typically they would hire Jackson Hole trout guys to go down there and work in the winter. So I had maybe that opportunity and went to Cayman and looked at it and wasn't, wasn't, I wasn't crazy about it and I would have done it, but I wasn't crazy about it. And on the way back, we stopped in Key West and I was like, what is wrong with this? Like, <laughs> nobody told me about this. Yeah. And, uh, and that's that, you know, luckily I had some friends there and some people that would, would, uh, give me a helping hand, Simon Becker and Michael Pollock and, and Jeffrey Cardenas and lots of Marshall Cutchin and lots of other people gave me a lot of help down there and, and, uh, worked out. And so that's where I ended up going Key West. Perfect. So everybody identifies with something like they have the little niche, uh, either it's a style of, of hunting or fishing, or it's a, a specific species that they go after. And so I, I identify as a turkey hunter. That is who I am through and through to my core. I didn't realize it until I just stumbled on it a couple of years ago, but it is just who I am. It's the thing I look forward to. 
all the fishing that you've done, what style, what species is Tom Rowland? Mm, probably permit fishing um, is my favorite. But, you know, when you say that, like permit bonefish and tarpon, I mean, that that's really kind of the deal because, you know, I, I, out of the three, it's hard to pick one that I like the most. I mean, on certain days, I like tarpon fishing the most. And certain days, I like bone fishing the most. And certain days, I like permit fishing the most. But I do like permit fishing. Um, if, if I were pressed, that seems to be, for whatever reason, the fish that, that I kind of have the most confidence in. And it's a funny fish to have a lot of confidence in because a lot of people put it on this pedestal where it, they have zero confidence in it. Mm -hmm. And um, when I got to Key West, um, permit fishing was really good. It still is in Key West. And um, the permit is the most year round fish that we have. And there's been this resurgence of, or, or this, it wasn't even a resurgence. When I got to Key West, there were very few bonefish around. Bonefish were hard to find. Tarpon, they were, you know, baby tarpon for me were hard to find in the beginning. And then the migratory tarpon were only there for, you know, a certain part of the year. The permit I could find all year round. So that's what I went for, like all the time, mm -hmm. because I just didn't know how to find the other fish. But the permit I was finding regularly. And so every day that I went out, I was like, well, I'll just find more permit spots. And I developed a lot of confidence with the permit. I could find them. I could, you know, I was having a hard time catching them at first, but then started catching them. And then, you know, I only wanted to fly fish for them. And that was really hard, really hard, especially by yourself. But I ended up going out and catching some by myself and, and then getting some people to catch catch them as well and kind of got the reputation of being able to get people permit on fly and so i would get those type of anglers that would come in and those type of anglers in my opinion as a starting guide you know a lot of people are like dang you're just going for the the hardest thing first but man a guy would come down there and his expectation was maybe i'll catch one this week well that was perfect because that's what I was hoping too. Maybe we'll catch one this week. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, so as, as a young guy, if you didn't catch one, it wasn't the end of the world. Like it wasn't like everybody was going out and catching 50 redfish and you go out and you catch one and that you show you, you know, you stand out like a sore thumb, but in the permit world, you know, nobody's really catching very many. So if you caught one, that was huge. If you caught two, that was like, make the newspaper. And if you didn't catch one, eh, oh, those things are really tough, you know? And so it, it was kind of a crutch, honestly. Um, when I look back on it, it's like, I could always go for permit because if we don't catch anything or you don't even see anything, well, mm -hmm. that's this person's experience that comes fishing with you. So if we went out, we got 50 shots. That was going to be their best day of permit fishing ever. And I could do that. I wasn't good at catching them at first, mm -hmm. but then, you know, once you start putting these shots in and then, then people are like, man, that kid can find some permit and you start getting uh, better and better anglers. And then they come with some experience and they're like, look, I was in Belize and they, this is the way we did it down there. And sure enough, man, they plop it in there and the thing comes over and eats it. And you're like, damn, okay. 
cool. We just caught one. And, and that was like a huge confidence builder. And then you had another guy that had never caught one and you just tell him kind of how you did it last time. Sure enough, worked for that one too. And, you know, you would certainly, I would certainly go on plenty of, of dry spells where you're not catching anything, but, um, that's, that's the fish that I think I would, you know, to answer your question in a very long way, it's, it's the permit. We like long-winded answers here. <laughs> it's my default as a person. And the more you talk, the less I talk. And then the more the yeah. listener benefits. So, yeah. Uh, well, the other thing about the permit <laughs> is that they love live crabs. And I thought, you know, I used to say that I would rather catch one on, on fly than 10 on bait. And then I caught 10 on bait and I was like, damn, that was fun. <laughs> and then, then I developed this whole love affair with permit. And I almost feel like it's like this whole different sport. Like there's fly fishing for permit and there's spin fishing for permit. They're both great. They're both very different from one another. Yeah. But what I like about spin fishing for permit is, and I really like this. If you have a live crab and you have your tackles dialed in right and, and you get a good shot and you do it right. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. You should catch that fish. And so if you don't catch that fish, you didn't do it right. Mm. So I love that. And with fly fishing, you can do it right all day long and not catch them. They, they, they can just be, you know not very nice and and they don't want to play ball mm-hmm. and but with a live crab you throw it over there and you do it right you you should catch that fish and i like i like that part because you know i like doing it right and when you don't do it right you know like mm-hmm. as a terrible cast messed them up i think that's you touched on one of the things that's my favorite component about fishing is i'm a gear guy and in and in the hunting sphere gear really isn't going to help you kill much different i mean a shotgun's a shotgun tss is tss there's only so much tinkering you can do it feels like in the fishing realm i'm always able to look at what happened look at my body of evidence and be like where's the common denominator here and it's like okay 
my hookup ratio is garbage on this one setup and let's assess what's wrong with it. And you can really dive into that minutia of that and, and, and improve things by really becoming a gear nut. And I think as, as you were talking about that, like I was thinking about how, you know, how much fun it is in the fishing world to constantly tweak, you know, this pound braid with this type of leader gets you so far with this lure and, and this style hook, buried mm-hmm. this far into the into the into the lure has this kind of you know setup that's a, a very underrated and undervalued part i think of fishing well there's you know i i think that the the tarpon is the is the ultimate for for that and maybe there's some other fish that are that are really hard but the tarpon for a long time you know we just went through hundreds of different types of hooks and styles of hooks and st- styles of sharpening hooks and then then i mean we used to have to sharpen all our hooks and you would come up with you know is it a triangular point or is it a diamond point or is it a long skinny point like a hypodermic needle or is it a short stubby point you know or you know and you're dealing with this fish that has this ultra hard mouth and we would think okay we've got it you know and then something would happen and you would realize oh now we're losing fish and then they started chemically sharpening the hooks and that was huge, but still, you know, some hooks were springy and some hooks would break and some hooks would, would just open up, but they, you wouldn't know that they opened up. Like there was a, the, the Billy Pate tarpon hook. It was supposed to be you know, designed by Billy Pate. It was an Eagle claw hook and you could stick that in a piece of wood and you could pull it and you could damn near straighten the whole thing out. And then it would snap back into place and you wouldn't even know that it had been out, right? Like it wouldn't stay open. Unreal. It would snap right back into place. So we're like, oh, okay, well, I see what's happening here. Like the thing's just opening up and we bring it back. Oh, no, the hook looks perfect, but that's not what was happening. That uh-huh. thing would open up. It was super springy. And there were other hooks like that too. And then you had the TMCOs occasionally get a couple of bad years of those where they would just break. And oh, it's just so... It's just so frustrating as an angler and a guide, especially when the fish are sure. are being really hard to bite and you finally get the bite and everything goes right. The hook set happens. They clear the line. You get it on the reel. You just start pulling and it just comes out. You're like, wonder what happened. You bring it in and the hook's broken. And that's just, that just is, is the worst because everything happened right. And, and then it was this failure. And had you chosen a different hook, you know, you'd have a happy client instead of, mm-hmm. you know, somebody that's not so happy or you might win the tournament or whatever. And so that, that tinkering, I think with the tarpon is the, I think it's the ultimate of tinkering because that's the fish that we put the most pressure on. And, and, you know, the hook is the hooks, the weak link, honestly. So, I'm curious, how did all of this transform into a TV show? Because mm. everybody, I think, has always wanted, anybody who's in this kind of realm, you know, if you ask them a pipe dream, probably they say, oh, I'd love to have a TV show. But you you had one that ran 17 years. That, that's still all, gone. It's still, right. Still, my apologies. <laughs> but, it, you know, it, that's a long time to have an outdoor channel style of show. I mean, the, the shelf life is really small. If you look at a lot of these channels today, how did that come about and and how has that became such a a mainstay for you? Um, Well, 
17 years is a long time, but when you compare that to Bill Dance, I mean, he's been on the air for 60, <laughs> 60 years. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and so we do have, you know, people out in front of us like Bill Dance and Roland Martin and Hank Parker and Jimmy Houston and all these guys uh, that have done this for a long time and that have uh, created kind of a template that we can, we can follow a little bit. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, thanks to, to them because like Bill Dance, he was the ultimate pioneer. I mean, he started this whole thing. There wasn't even such a thing as a fishing TV show until he started doing it and he created sponsorship and he created all that stuff. So you can just look at what people, you know, ahead of you have done and then do something similar and try to do it in your own flair. And that's, that's great. When we first started this, you told me you had a one-year-old, um, that was maybe going to come flying through here with bubble bath all, all over them. I've, I've been there. I have three kids. And when I was doing the redfish tournaments with rich, uh, my boys were probably um, two and a half and one. And Oof. I was leaving the keys to go to Texas and fish there for two weeks. And it was really hard and fishing a lot in Louisiana and it was really, really, really hard. And I didn't want to do it anymore. Quite honestly, I only wanted to be home with my family. And it took a hurricane, Hurricane Charlie. We were fishing in Venice, Louisiana. And Hurricane Charlie came and hit uh, Key West. And my wife was there with my two boys. And they were really little. And they had to go to our friend's fish house. Uh, because it was a building that had no window. It's a very safe place, had no windows, just big concrete block building. You've got food in there. You've got ice. It's a really good place. And uh, my friend, you know, took it, took in my family and they're there. I'm in Louisiana. I can't leave. They can't leave. We just had to just watch that storm go over Key West. And man, the next day I put the boat on the trailer and we started heading back to to uh key west and i was like rich i'm done with this never gonna do it again I'm like what i'm like yeah because he didn't have kids at the time mm -hmm. and so he didn't quite understand he's like how can you just do that i'm like listen man maybe you'll figure it out one day maybe you won't i don't really care but i'm not doing this anymore <laughs> i'm not go i'm not leaving so yeah. what are we gonna do with all the sponsorship you can have it i don't even want it just take it do whatever you want to do Literally, this truck cannot get home fast enough. And when it gets there, I'll never do another trip like this again. And he was like, whoa, okay. So it's like quiet for like 500 miles. And he's like, well, what do you think we could do? And we just started, and I had um, done the great outdoor games the year before mm -hmm. this. And I won the great outdoor games. And when I, when I won the great outdoor games, I uh, was able to do all kinds of TV shows. Like I thought that they would be calling me, but that's not how it works. I won this great outdoor games thing. And I was like, okay, I'm ready for the phone to ring. It never rang. So I thought, okay, I'm going to have to call people. I don't even know who to call, but I started thinking, okay, well, I like this particular TV show. I'll call them, see if I can get in touch with them pre-internet. You know, I don't even know how I did it, but you somehow get in touch with somebody and you say, Hey, uh, you know, I got a, I got an opportunity for you. You could, uh, I just won this big thing on ESPN and, you know, it was a weird story like this 
freshwater, the saltwater guy wins this freshwater competition. And uh, you could come down here and go tarpon fishing. Would you want to do that? Would you want to shoot a show down here? And they said, yeah. And so pretty much everybody I asked said, that sounds great. That's a great storyline. We'll make a great show out of that. So long story short, like 30 different television shows came down to uh, fish with me. And I started just doing all these different television shows and I loved it. Every one I did, I got more bookings. And so I was like, this is great. I want to do as many of these TV shows as I possibly can. And I did about 30 of them. So on the way back home, uh, Rich is like, well, what could we do? And I said, well, I, we could do anything as long as I can stay in my bed every single night and not have to leave my family. Yeah. And he goes, well, what does that look like? And I was like, I don't know. I guess we could do a TV show or something. And he said, really, what do you know about doing a TV show? I said, I don't know. I mean, I've done like 30 of them. It doesn't look that hard. And <laughs> honestly, I was pretty, pretty naive, but it, it really didn't look that hard. I mean, it, it didn't look that hard. Like the guy showed up, he had a couple of camera guys with him. We went out, we went fishing. They told me what they wanted to catch. We tried to catch it. If we did, we got a good show. If we didn't, we went out the next day and, or changed the plan or did something. It was very much like charter fishing. Mm -hmm. Like you, you show up at the dock and you say, I want to catch a tarpon. I say, well, the weather is really not good for that, but we could, you know, go out and catch these redfish under the bushes. And he says, great. And so that's what we do and leaves a happy customer. Right. Um, that's kind of how the TV show was is like, okay, well, seems like it's not that hard. So we decided, okay, well, let's do that. So we went to, uh, um, we got home and did exactly what I said I wasn't going to do. Got right back on an airplane, went and visited all the different sponsors that we had. We had about four at the time. So we went and visited them and just posed them the question. We said, look, if we didn't do these redfish tournaments anymore and we did a television show instead, would you support us in that the way you're supporting us in the redfish tournaments? And they all said yes. And we should have asked for way more because we didn't know how expensive television was and how, <laughs> how expensive <laughs> that whole thing was, but that's, that's how it got started. And, um, and, you know, I kind of liked doing the TV show even better at the time, probably better than the tournaments. I was, I was definitely that last, you know, Louisiana tournament really kind of left uh -huh. a bad taste in my mouth. I didn't want to leave my family. We were finding ways that we could shoot TV shows right in the Florida keys. I could, I could, I'd never had to spend the night away. You could just, you know, just fish anywhere. And we had tons of species to fish for, you know, and we, we always even said like, well, Bill dance has been doing this for 50 years and all he's ever caught are, are you know, largemouth and smallmouth bass, but mostly, mostly largemouth. And a lot of times in the same pond, you saw him fishing before, but he just does <laughs> it true. differently. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He just did it differently. So we started thinking, okay, well, you know, how many tarpon shows could we do? Like, well, as many as we want. We just have to change the method that we're using. We have uh -huh. to, we have to change the boat we're fishing in. We have to change the, the, the tackle and the, the technique and all of that. And, you know, we'll do some fly shows. We'll do some spin shows. We'll do some bait shows. We'll, 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 you know, fish them at the bridge. We'll fish them in the back country. We'll fish, you know, we can do a whole bunch of them. And um, so that's, that's how it started. Uh, the problem was, is that all the shows at the time were single host format. So everything was, there were no shows that were two people on camera. So you had Jose Wahebe, you had Flip Pallet, you had uh, Bill Dance and Jimmy Houston and Hank Parker and on and on 
all those guys basically were doing kind of the same thing of a single host looking at the camera, talking to the camera at flip palette was a different story. I mean, that was mm -hmm. a, that was a beautifully written show and, and it was, it was nice. That was, that was the exception, but we weren't, we weren't like that. So we wanted, well, there were just two of us. So we were like, well, how are we going to do this? And even people told us, uh, you know, you guys are just going to have to do two shows. You're going to have to figure this out some way. There's not, this isn't going to work. Well, you know, that again, turned out to be an advantage because what we created was something that we did out of necessity because there were two of us, but it turned out to be a fresh approach because fishing shows have been done the same way for a long time. And then we came in and did this kind of different thing, which people liked. And so then that started, you know, after, after we had been doing that for a couple of years, then we were like, well, what if we did an offshore show like this? And so that's how into the blue started. And then, you know, what if we did a bass show like this? And then it was, that's how Sweetwater started. It was, the, you know, the same thing, replicate that two host format and do it in offshore and do it in bass fishing. And um, then we kind of ran out of ideas, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but that's, that's how those, those shows got started and, and, and had a good run. Sweetwater just came to a close this year, but uh, into the blue still going strong. That's like 12, 12, 14 years going now. And um you know, the two host format can, can work well. Um, you know, so that's, that's how they all got started. I like, I, I really liked that. And, and, you know, I never really realized that was one of the things I liked about it until you drew my attention to it. So I guess you did, you know, an excellent job of just making it feel like this thing, but, you know, fishing for me was never a solo endeavor. It was always, I went with, a, with someone and, and that's kind of who I am as a, as a person. I'm a very social person. I, I do like my alone time as well but realistically speaking it was always this like you know hey dad hey brother hey buddy let's go yeah. you know tear the redfish up let's go tear the trout up with the flounder or whatever and i always loved and admired that dialogue that you guys would have because that was that was you know it, it hit yeah. me at my core you know and and it was unique you know bill dance did a good job of making you feel like you were that second person mm -hmm. yep, in a very very unique way um, but outside of, of that, man, it, it really felt like it was all kind of like this watch me fish kind of thing. Um, it, it, and I think on top of that, I always felt like I learned something from you guys. It right. was always, it was always enjoyable to see your energy, enjoyable to sit to hear the dialogue. But I felt like through watching your shows, if I could have ever got down to the keys, I could have applied some of the things that you guys were talking about. And I thought that was such that's a, a, that's cool a pretty part. good compliment. You know, I mean you know, Bill dance is a master at what he does and he created his, his style. And so there's also this thing of, you don't want to just do what he's doing because mm -hmm. that's what he does. And nobody's going to do it better than that. So to try to make a show like that, mm -hmm. I think is just going to be a failing situation for anybody, no matter right. how good you are. And, but I mean, cause that's like his deal. So we didn't want to really do that. Like, I listen of all the TV shows out there. Mm -hmm. I may be the biggest bill dance fan. I've seen tons of them. I love bill dance, Me too. but that's his thing. And he needs to do his thing. And I needed to do something different. And I still love that show and, and lots of others where it's a single host format. And I do learn it's like a teacher talking to you. Absolutely. Mentorship. Where yep. We're more like a, a, you're a fly on the wall 
kind of, of these two guys talking. And it was always supposed to be kind of a guide's day off. Like we've been guiding, you know, and now we're going to fish together. Mm -hmm. And so he can show me a couple of things. I can show him a couple of things. We can learn a couple of things together. That's, that's what really happens on a, on a guide's day off. The guide's day off is, is, is very rare when you're, um, when you're a real working guide, you're working like 300 days a year. So first of all, there's just, there's only 60 days off. There's 52 weeks in the year. So basically it's, you know, a day off a week, um, with some weather days around. So that day off that you're spending, you're not spending with your wife or whatever, and you're going fishing with another, you know, friend or another guide or a rival guide that you're going to go with. And I can think of days where there were just these entire learning opportunities just unlocked by doing that. Like somebody would do something or, or say something on the boat and you're just like, Oh, and then for the next year, you've you're doing things that you would do differently that you were never doing before because you went fishing with this one guy or mm -hmm. or he went fishing with you or you learned something together or yeah you came across this place together and you were just like oh this is different like and then you start talking you're like i think this is why that's happening and he thinks this is why that's happening and then you make this pact like you're not gonna fish here we're not going to fish here together. If there's one boat in there, then, mm -hmm. then that's it. We're the other guy's going to keep going because we don't want two boats in this spot or other people are going to find it. And, um, those days are so valuable. And so that was always the idea of saltwater experience was that it was one of those days of going out and, and sharing with one another, like sharing this knowledge that you, that you covet to yourself and that you would not give away just willy nilly, mm -hmm. but because this person's willing to share some of his knowledge with you, you're going to open up to him too. So mm -hmm. hopefully we have been able to convey that. Um, and then the audience is benefiting by learning, you know, whatever that secret of the day is. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. So I, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big college football fan. I'm a big Georgia fan. And uh, as a result, anything college football, orange, I loathe with a seething, seething passion. Why? And They're terrible. <laughs> that's, I mean, <laughs> what yeah, do you I have mean... to worry about? <laughs> you should love them. They should be your favorite. <laughs> right now, right now they are because I get my fall weekends back. If I'm playing something orange, uh, I just, I just go hunting and do something. But, uh, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, the newest generation that's coming up behind me, I don't think Bill Dance um, is, is, you know, there's a lot more people in the space. There's a lot more influence there, you know, but I grew up with the Bill Dance. I, when I realized that he had, that he signed hats, like yeah, I Gene bought Jensen. one. Yeah, yep. Gene. The flute master. He wears a Georgia hat. I know. I know. I didn't realize that. So <laughs> I shot a bass fishing video one time with the same Georgia hat. 
and the people kept commenting at the bottom like oh we got a jean jacket because I'm, I'm a big georgia fan georgia boy you know everything so, so it's like oh we got a jean jensen uh, wannabe here in the comments and i'm like who who's this jean jensen guy you know and, and the, the video got like 300 views and there's all these comments i'm like what is going on and so like i googled jean jensen i'm like oh my god here i am beard you know on the you know, on the boat doing everything so i've, I've kind of let, let that be for him he's he's repping us pretty good but uh yeah i i, I have a tennessee hat that that's one of the prides of my childhood sitting up there on the on the shelf people always come in they're confused like i got georgia stuff over here and then this random tennessee hat i'm like hold on a second look who it's signed by you know nice <laughs> oh man well so we're coming up on an hour actually we've 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 uh exceeded an hour and i want to be sensitive to your time but i've got two questions if you can okay. entertain me all right now i ask closing questions of every guest and it, i couldn't settle on just one for you and i try and do that really hard but uh i'm going to ask a selfish one but we have a lot of people who are content creators who listen to the show and what do you think for people who are trying to make it in the outdoor space guiding outdoor writer whatever it might be what is your advice to those people who aspire to find a path similar to yours hard work mm -hmm. it's hard work and dedication and and um i mean that's really what it is like certainly i wasn't i didn't have any sort of pedigree i didn't have any sort of um anything all i had was the ability to work hard and and not to be discouraged and i i really do believe that a lot of that like we talked about came from from my athletic background um but we live in a time right now where it's really easy for someone to to gain you know 15 minutes of fame or get put a youtube video up there that gets 250,000 views or 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 write an article that you know has a bunch of clickbait kind of titles to it and gets a ton of of reads or or whatever and it's really really easy for that to happen once or twice it's harder to do it consistently and when you are able to do it consistently i really don't think that there's any that there's any substitute for hard work before the internet the only way that a fishing guide made a name for themselves uh, before social media or, or anything like that to where you could put out there what you wanted people to see from you. The only way that you developed your reputation was happy clients. Your boat was there at the, or your truck was at the boat ramp before everybody got there. Your, your, your trailer was already empty and you were gone. And when they got back, you were still out mm. and your clients are always happy. That was the way that you developed your reputation. And just because the internet has made it a little, I, I don't, I'm not, I, I hesitate to say easier because I don't think it's easier. I think there's more competition. I think that it's way more difficult to, to rise above and have anyone to even get noticed. Mm -hmm. I think it's far more difficult now with the, with all the different social media and the, the, the different ways that you can create content you got podcasts and writing and, and, and social media and websites and on and on and on and on and on down the line, it's harder to get noticed today. So 
I just go back to, there's no substitute for hard work. There's no substitute for absolutely knowing your craft inside and out being a hundred percent professional at whatever that is. If you're a writer, then be the best writer. If you are a fishing guide, then be the best at that. And that doesn't mean that you catch the most fish. That means that your clients are the happiest and that you are getting return bookings every time. And you know, that you are, you're, you're, you're exceeding people's expectations when they go out on the water with you, you are professional, you're safe, you're courteous, you're kind, you have hospitality, you teach, you, um, then at the bottom of the list, somewhere down there, you catch some fish, what they wanted. Right. And, and, you know, when you can do that day after day after day, those first five or six things that I mentioned, they all just happen. So then you concentrate on catching the fish, but all the other things come natural, you know, the being professional and being safe and showing up on time and being courteous and being nice and, and having the hospitality, all of that stuff just becomes your, your, your MO. That's the way you do things. And then when you go hard on trying to catch fish, you're doing it with all these with all these great attributes, right? So that's all hard work. It's, it's, it's hard to do that. And it, it's hard to do that consistently. So I just go back to just hard work, work outwork everybody, because there's a lot of great people out there that are very talented fishermen or very talented writers or whatever, but where, where we can all, you know, have that kind of X factor is just how hard are you willing to work for it? I love that answer. Okay, so the final question. Now, this one comes from a gentleman who describes himself as one of your biggest fans. He's a he's a supporter of the show. Oh, good. His name's Pat. I'm going to give him the credit here. Hey, um, Pat. Hey, Pat. <laughs> Made his day. He, Pat wants to know, and this falls in line with one of my favorite questions to ask. What is the the moment that when you lay down at night and 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 you're trying to go to sleep? What's that embarrassing moment? in your career, in your, in your fishing pursuits that you, you suddenly your eyes pop open and you're like, God, that was such a knuckleheaded X, Y, and Z. Like what, what's the thing that lives rent-free? Oh man. Um, you know, there've been so many that I don't even know that I could pick one. I mean, I can think of, of, uh, just walking off the boat one day, we walked all, we, we, we drove all the way out to the Marquesas. It's about an hour drive. It was, is, you know, we get out there, our boat ride, we get out there and just step up onto the bow and get ready to look around see if there are any tarpon rolling or anything, just step right off the boat and you're in the water and you, you know, nobody's even done anything. Those things like that are pretty embarrassing. Um, I don't, that's a really good question. Um, luckily, luckily I don't, I really don't have a lot of regrets. I really don't. And, um, some of my biggest failures have turned out to be, you know, great successes in a way that that's what I learned the most from. And, uh, so in that regard, I don't take them back. I, I, I don't, I don't, you know, even regret it. It's like, I made that mistake on purpose and, you know, I didn't make it again, <laughs> um, but I wish I had a better answer for Pat. I, I don't know um, if that's what he was hoping for, but 
Um, that's, that's a tough one, man. I, I don't know that there is one that just sticks out. I, I mean, there's just so many. You know, I, I ask that question all the time and I often think about like there are people who I would love to ask that question to because, you know, like there's moments that stick out to them. Like everybody's seen the bill dance bloopers where the camera guy's trying to get the shot and he drops yeah. this $30,000 camera in the water. It's like, I want to ask that question to that guy one day and just hear that story because, you know, that has got to be one of those moments where uh, you there's know, plenty, there's plenty of broken equipment. Yeah. I mean, we, I've, I've done dumb things and so is rich uh we you know and 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 it, we're in it together so it doesn't really matter who does it but i can remember <laughs> a brand new boat on a trailer in ending up in a you know turning a little too sharp around a corner and ended up in a deep deep ditch oh you have to get the tow truck to come and, and pull it out you know and there's your day of pre-fishing um <laughs> you, you know i mean it's just stuff like that's going to happen when you're, when, when you're towing boats around the country and you're, 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 you know, or you're fishing 300 days a year, there's going to be a lot of things. Most of the things you're going to work out, you know, and, and, uh, you're not going to make a lot of mistakes because you're doing it every single day, but you know, I don't know. I, you should never let your client help you with the boat. Right. So like you, you're fishing 300 days a year, you have a way that, and you put mm -hmm. the boat on the trailer the same way every single day. And it's the middle of tarpon season. And you've got this guy that really supposedly knows what he's doing. And he really wants to help. And he's like, here, let me, let me, let me help you with the boat. No, I got a little way I do it. It's fine. Just go on. Everything's fine. No, no, no. I really want to help you. No, I, I've got it. I, I really can, can get it. It's so easy. It just goes right up on the trailer. No, no, no. Let me help you. Okay. And so you let him help you and he puts it on the trailer and gets the push pole between the guide post and the, oh. and the boat and snaps your push pole in half in the middle of tarpon season when there are no push poles around, <laughs> yeah. right? Like that's a bad deal. So <laughs> you should never let that happen. Like always put your boat up the way that you put it up. Don't let people help you. Um, because that almost always results in something. If you think, you know, somebody's going to get the, 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 the strap or, you know, I'll let him drive the boat up onto the trailer or something. No, man, just do it the same way every single day and nothing goes wrong. You start letting people help that it's well-meaning. They yeah. want to help. They're, yeah. they, you know, it's been a long day. No, it's really, I got it because that's what happens. You snap a push pole in half in the middle of tarpon season. <laughs> my brother you talk about the way you do it every time my brother and i he was younger we were going out fishing he, he flew down from north georgia we're going bass fishing they don't have any broken bass fishing in like the mountains up there per se and i, I had he's like i'm gonna put the kayaks on top of the truck and so i've got the six stair and i've got these long bars and, I, and you put them side by side and if you if you don't orient them right they, they do this when you put the ratchet strap on there right and so i've got this 14 foot kayak and i've got this other 14 foot kayak up there and we hit this little bump in the road and i see the ratchet strap go flying this way oh no and the 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 kayak comes off the front of the the, the truck 
rips the antenna off the side of the car just completely crumples my Xterra hood and then and then it just because I'm you know I'm breaking and it's just smashing and made doing more damage and and you're telling me that I'm thinking yeah I've never let anybody touch my GNU or my kayaks moving forward I do the whole thing no matter what man I've got yeah, a process I mean that's the way the process you you got to have that process and and eventually you know when you put it on there and and it's tested you, you've uh -huh. done it this way every day that's just the way. And when people start taking <laughs> a piece of it, even no matter how well-meaning they are, even if it's like rich, like, no, oh, dude, this is my boat, my trailer. I got it. Like, otherwise we'll leave the engine down or something. And you're, and, and you, you drive the boat up the ramp and the engine's hitting the, mm -hmm. hitting the, uh, hitting the ramp, you know, like, or, or leave the engine on. Mm -hmm. But you know, when you do it yourself, you got this, it's, it's step one, step two, step three, right. step four, yeah. step five, all the way through. And when someone interrupts that, at least for me, it can be really, really tough because, you know, or they, they take, take your drain plug and they put it someplace where you don't normally put it. And then you get to the ramp the next time you're like, where's the drain plug? And yeah. you can't find it. That's a bad deal at four o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Especially when somebody's there to, to fish with you too. You yeah. Know? I mean, that's a... Well, well, dude, <clears throat> I really appreciate you taking an hour after your evening. Uh, we played some some email tag there for a second. In fact, uh, I'll fall on the sword. Uh, I originally reached out. You said, here are the times that work. I typed up this lovely email, but I didn't hit send. So the, today's mm -hmm. podcast pro tip is if you type up an email and you don't hit send, it's the same thing as not responding at all because <laughs> no one gets the intent behind it. But uh, you, you, you found some dates to, to accommodate us and, and come back on the show and uh, it means the world to me that you did, man. It really does. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It was a good conversation. Why don't you uh, kind of tell everybody uh, maybe where they can find your content moving forward? Sure. Uh, Saltwater Experience is the TV show. Um, it's on Waypoint TV is our main um, our main distribu distribution. Uh, you can get Waypoint TV on Samsung Plus TVs. It's on uh, Pluto. It's on um, all different types of ott platforms like like those samsung and and uh and pluto it's also an app it's also uh, a website you can go to waypointtv.com you can find out all the different ways that you can watch that show we're also on discovery channel we're on um, sportsman's channel as well so you can see my show uh, saltwater experience also we have another show called into the blue and we are starting a new show called Life on the Water. You can watch that. Uh, watch out for that one. It's going to have the same distribution. And then I do a podcast as well called the Tom Roland Podcast. And that's available everywhere you find podcasts, as well as Waypoint and YouTube. So love to have you come over there and listen to that occasionally. We get some good guests and um, it's good conversation sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope that uh, this, this, this conversation has motivated you to get outside, to work harder. We talk about that all the time. Go further. Try something new. What, try a different way of approaching something you've already done, but maybe it makes you more successful. I hope this episode motivates you to do that as well. Uh, but until next time, no matter what you do, get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. 
go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.